Welcome to Become the Me I Want to Be, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs like you focus on driving your personal growth, building your positive energy, and giving you the support that you need to achieve your goals so that you can win in life and succeed at home. Hey, glad you're back. So sit back and get ready to listen to the second part of this interview that I had with Andy Cope. It is going to blow your mind. Anyway, um, in my opinion, the fearless father must be striving to be like, as you mentioned earlier, the best dad in the world. And if I understand correctly, from what I've read from you, the art of brilliance reminds people how to be their best self. So I was just wondering, what is your step-by-step system um, to get, you know, um, to get someone or someone must follow to become the best dad in the world? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's possibly not parenting specific, but having done a PhD in happiness and studied happy people all these years there are lots of things they've got in common Um, the biggest thing is also the simplest thing um, and that is that really happy positive people consciously and deliberately choose to have a positive attitude okay now I just want to unpick that one because I know it sounds really simple and a lot of people say have you spent 12 years studying and that's all you can come up with they you know the positivity I'm not let me do if I just clarify Happy people don't choose to be happy. So happiness isn't something you can choose. Happiness is an emotion. You can open up to it and let more happiness into your life, but it's not something you can choose. However, positivity is not an emotion. It's an attitude. And therefore, it is within your control. You have to learn to do it, but it's within your control. And if the more you choose to be positive about your thought processes, your relationships, then the better your chance of being happy. Now, my breakthrough came... A few years ago when I accidentally learned how to choose to be positive so it's a bit of a strange one but I was reading a self-help book 2008 it was and one of the sentences said what you need to do is wake up in the morning being really grateful that you've not got toothache and I can remember thinking that was a bit silly but I thought I'll give it a go I'll try it and I and so I didn't just do it once I did it every single day for a whole year so 365 times get out of bed put some effort in to getting out of bed and going woohoo no toothache what a fantastic start to the day you know my teeth aren't hurting I'm feeling great so because I felt brilliant at 6 a.m because my teeth aren't hurting then when my kids came down for breakfast, I've got some music on, I'm dancing around, serving their breakfast with a smile. So my kids went off to school much happier in 2008 because dad was happier because they caught my emotions. And I did that every single day. And I tell you what, I, I came alive. I woke up. I, I had the energy of two people. It wasn't just my relationships at home. My career took off. Everything in my life was, it was the best year of my life ever. So the next year, I thought, this is amazing. I've accidentally learned how to choose to be positive. So I thought, I'm going to keep it going, but I need to change it. So I changed it from toothache, uh, kidneys. So I just changed the body part. So I would get out of bed the next year, give my kidneys a rub, or give my heart a feel and say, oh, kidneys are still working, heart's still beating. That's a good start to the day. And I tell you what, I know it sounds ridiculous, I don't have to do it anymore because it's normal. It's like ingrained in the thinking now. But I had to do that for about a year and a half 
and I've still got the energy of two people. I feel amazing. And I would say that is most people hit the snooze button and try and get another nine minutes and 59 seconds of sleep before they drag themselves out of bed. And I used to do that as well. So what I'm really saying, it's not toothache and kidneys. It's those 4,000 weeks of game, right? I'm 51. I'm not very clever, but I'm clever enough to understand that one day I won't be able to get out of bed. So one day I'm going to be too ill or I'm going to be too old. So what positive psychology, and particularly the choice to be positive, has really taught me is that while I can get out of bed, I may as well get out of bed like I really want to, like I really mean it. And I know that doesn't sound like a um, a big deal, but it is a big deal because most people are not doing that. Yeah, most people are going to come alive on Friday at five o'clock, whereas I've decided to come alive on Monday at 6 a.m. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's inspiring. People well, it's gratitude, and... really, gratitude, really, I suppose, you know, just waking up, being alive. But most people don't wake up. If, if you get, Let me give you a choice, class. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one million pounds or not be dead. What are you going to go for? I would go for not be dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, me too. But <laughs> don't have to think too hard about that. I'll go with not be dead. Thank you very much. So what that means is really, when you wake up tomorrow, you are a millionaire. You know, life is worth. I could give you ten million pounds or not be dead. You'll still go not be dead. Yeah. So what that means is waking up tomorrow is worth ten million pounds, ten million euros, really. But we don't wake up thinking that. We wake up thinking the opposite. So what we have to do all the time is is rethink the thinking. Absolutely. But the thing is there that nobody talks about that. Nobody thinks about it. It's like a bad subject. While I've been learning, and especially from the book that I've read, uh, The 50th Law, uh, with uh, Robert Greene and 50 Cent, uh, where he talks a lot about that. And it's like he flips it around. He uses it to, to energize himself and makes him live every single day to the max. Well, death is a very focusing thought. And I think that I don't think most people are really scared of death. I think we're scared of not quite having lived such a brilliant life, of getting getting to the final moment and having regrets or getting to the final moment and realizing that I wasn't a brilliant dad or, you know, that's the scary thing. So I think the best way to prepare for death is to have a brilliant life. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. You mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you're reading that book about uh, uh, orf- um, children in the orphanage uh, all dying because they didn't get any love. Um, actually, yeah, last year, and it's not about death, but it was very uh, a heartbreaking experience. Like, I would pick up my, my oldest son from school uh, after his karate uh, uh, lessons. And there was always five minutes before he would come, there was always this girl. I think she was like 11 or 12, something like that. She was a small older girl. And she had just such a sad expression on her face. And I mean, like sad, sad. Like her lips were hanging like this and she was always like this. There was no smile. It was always the same expression. And I hope it was just because of that one lesson, but um, I actually saw her one time when I was walking the dogs, and yes, she had the same expression. It just—it just broke my heart every single time. Mate, and, the problem—the problem is these little learned behaviors. You know, if she's like that at age five, she'll probably be like that at age fifty-five. Exactly. But what I was wondering is because I definitely do not want my kids to 
have any moment that they're like, well, they're going to have moments, but not like extended moments that they have such a face. So I'm just wondering, like, what could a father do to raise happy kids? Um, I think in terms of the home life, um, I like Dale Carnegie. If we go back to the 1930s, and then I'll give you an old one, then I'll give you a new one. So Dale Carnegie, 1930s, he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a bit of a classic self-help book. But two things come out of his book, that are two things for me at least. The first one is to be genuinely interested in the people around you. And I mean genuinely interested. So taking that interest. So, so that's the four-minute rule, really, and, and taking a great interest in your children. So when they come home from school, being insanely and intensely interested in what they've done. And the other one that he talks about in his book is, is to say nice things about people behind their back. So even when they're not, even when your children aren't there, or if you're just talking to one child, then saying nice things about the other child is a really powerful subconscious thing because it gets back to the other child <laughs> um so they will hear about it but it's a really smart thing it's, it's a lot once again it's a lot cleverer than it sounds my grandma used to say that if you haven't got anything nice to say about people then don't say anything at all and it turns out she's pretty right so i would say keep your language really positive around your children so so cat be interested in what they're doing and say nice things behind their back that's from the 1930s and that still holds true as parenting today and the more modern one is the um the carol dweck growth mindset there's various uh various um theories around this essentially positive and negative aren't aren't equal all right so bad weighs more than good so what that means is your brain is predisposed. Your brain is very good at noticing the bad things your children do. Your brain is very good at noticing the one bad driver that ruins your drive to work. Your brain is very good at noticing one angry customer which ruins your day, and it deletes all the good ones. And therefore, what that basically means is, is that you should be three times more positive than you are negative. So in your communication, not just with your children, but with your wife, with your work colleagues, you for every so it's not three to zero so you can be negative but for every negative thing that you say you should say three positives to counteract the negative so three to one but that's the minimum if your relationship at home dips below two to one then it will probably end in divorce there's some, some really strong stats there so what, what so you've got to keep your language positive the minimum is three to one however in the workplace so let's apply it to the workplace then high performance teams operate on a ratio of six to one so if i was in a meeting with you or if i was in your office and i could hear six bits of praise six bits of encouragement six bits of laughter for every negative, I'd be fairly sure your team is performing well. And there's some new research coming out that applies to families. And they reckon, particularly with young children, the ratio at home should be eight to one. So you as a dad or, or your wife, and that once again, it's not eight to zero. So you can be critical and there's sometimes when you have to be critical of your children. Uh, but, but if I was in your house and I could hear eight bits of laughter, eight bits of praise and encouragement, catching your kid doing eight small things really well for every negative, then I would, sh I would suspect that that family is bathed in love and that's the environment that is conducive to bringing up really, really well-balanced children. Wow, that's amazing information. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. The, the, the trick is, as a parent, the trick is, as a parent, is to 
is to make them authentic and real. So kids don't want bullshit. They don't want praise for no reason. And the difficulty is to catch them. So in your case with little children, eight times drawing nice pictures, eight times brushing their teeth without being asked, just small little things saying, do you know what? Thank you for doing that. It's really made dad's day. Small little things, noticing the small things becomes crucial. And I love it. I, you know, I think six to one or eight to one at home is, is very powerful. But getting them right, once again, it's not an exact science. And can I give you another one while it's in my head? While it's in my head, it's a very little known thing, but I love it to bits. It's called the Matthew effect. Um, I think it's I think it comes from a reading from the Bible. I'm not a religious person, but basically the Matthew effect means that, how do I explain it? Um, a small success in something achieves a big breakthrough in learning and the children then then progress really quickly. Um, so basically the law me the Matthew effect is when the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But if you apply it to parenting, let's apply it to reading. So children who go to school who are already able to read, then they take giant leaps of learning very quickly because the books get bigger and interesting and they start to enjoy reading. So those who can already read will accelerate at school hugely. Those who get to school unable to read, the Matthew effect means that they will fall behind. Because all their peers, they will see everybody else accelerating away. They won't be able to catch up. So reading for them will become um, uh, a chore and the whole education will suffer. And, and do you know what the number one thing is to get to get boys reading is the biggest influence on boys picking a book up is whether their dad reads. So even if you can't read dads, pretend. Sometimes switch off the TV, sit with a book. And if your son sees dad reading a book that is the biggest single factor in your son also picking up a book that's the matthew effect but it applies i'm not just talking reading if your children are doing music buy buy yourself an instrument and learn with them if your children want to do cooking put your apron on and cook with them you know if your children want to do trampolining bounce on the trampoline with them the matthew effect says it doesn't matter what it is but some small wins and some enthusiasm from the parents mean the children will grow into that and they will take massive leaps of learning in the future but you've got to help them you've got to join in joining in joining in is the key which you're already doing i know that in your case you're already doing it i'm learning so much and i'm loving it the funny thing is you mentioning like especially with boys my parents, like my father and my mother, they read so much. And I never did until like a year or two years ago. And they they tried everything and it didn't work. It didn't catch on. And now all of a sudden, I just started realizing, look, I need to read. I got all these mentors that I could just buy for like 10 bucks, 20 bucks that I can learn so much from. Instead of keep failing at everything, I just buy a book. Um, and I actually, I, I read myself and I read while they're playing or doing that thing, but I also read them bedtime stories. And I want to talk to, talk to you about that in a little bit. Um, what I want to talk to you about now is that, you know, what you're doing with the art of brilliance and what I've seen so far, looks absolutely amazing. And I can only imagine how crazy your schedule must be giving, um, you know, giving your, workshops and your speeches uh, all over the place. So I'm just wondering, how do you manage your time to remain positive, happy, stress-free, and at the same time, 
in all areas of your life, still get, you know, still make sure that everybody gets the attention that they deserve and you still get to do everything that you want to do. Yeah, I'm not a saint, you know, I don't get it right all the time. I'm very lucky that I love my work and I, work doesn't feel like work. So I've managed to create a career where, you know, I go around the world telling, delivering courses on happiness and well-being. And I love what I do because I know that if people put into practice this really simple principles, it was fundamentally a life-changing thing. So I don't, I don't class it as work. I, I just enjoy it. However, I do work too hard. Um, I do travel too much. And um, I'm not claiming to be perfect. But I think I am, I've learned to slow down a little bit. Um, I've learned to do less. So I've learned to say no, actually. Mm. Yeah, I've learned to say no. I mean, you, you, you got me onto this by sending me a beautiful little video and, and emotionally blackmailed me into it, my friend, which is very clever. But normally I would say no, simply because, you know, if you say yes to everything, you sink under the weight of pressure. Um, but I love my life and I'm not, I'm not complaining about being too busy. Um, I, I, I love it. So, but I think looking after yourself is crucial and I, you know, I keep fit. I do exercise every day. So I'm not, I'm not a young man, but I, I take the decision if I'm staying away, I don't stay in a cheap hotel now. I stay in a nice hotel with a gym and I will get up at 6am and I'll do 45 minutes because it keeps me mentally sharp. It keeps me physically fit. And that, that boosts my own well-being. So that's how I do it. I keep physically fit. I don't drink stupid amounts of alcohol. I try and look after myself. Luckily, I've married a, a, a lovely lady who cooks me healthy food as well. So I'm a lucky man. Um, yeah, that's also awesome. I love, my wife cooks and I love it. frees <laughs> up so much space, time and stress. I, I think generally, do you know what? Females across the board are superheroes. Females are superheroes. And I think in most families the mum is always the superhero. And I think in, in high-performance families, it's the dad who also steps up to the plate. So I think in your case, then you've also taken a decision to be the best dad in the world, which is the best thing you can do for your children. But often it's the mum who is a superhero and the dad isn't. So this is the message to the dads, to put your pants on the outside and step up to it, lads. Taking my kids to school and then watching other fathers and then watching their kids it made me so sad and I was like, yeah, I, I want to change. Like I felt all of a sudden like I want to change and that's, that's a different story. I'm not going to go into that because I want to use you for the time that you're here. But um, I just stepped up and now I'm trying to in inspire everybody else to, to do the same. Well, you're inspiring me, Claire. You're inspiring me for sure. Yeah. You know, I've started to think about, you know, positive psychology particularly. I've started to think about it like most people – Imagine you lived in an egg. Just go with this one. Imagine you lived in an egg. And a lot of people are living in the egg and being really busy making the egg comfortable and making the egg pretty and making the decorating the egg so it's nice and homely. And we're really busy making our eggs really, really comfortable. For me, positive psychology is about hatching out of the egg. It's about daring to transform into a better version of yourself. There's a whole world outside the egg that's there for everybody. It's a glorious world, but we, we gotta be brave to take the step. And too many people are, are living their 4,000 weeks safely inside their comfort zones or their eggs. And I think what you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do is get people to hatch out into the brave new world, new thinking, new ways of doing things. Um, and it's much more exciting when you've hatched, it's much more exciting outside of the egg. <laughs> 
It really is. Well, that's, <laughs> that's that makes sense. It makes sense in my head, but I don't know. No, no, I understand. What I would add is that you actually, when, once you're out of the egg, you grab the egg and throw it in the water so you get that ripple effect of what Hey, I say, I like it. Yeah, are you aware of the ripple? Have you heard of the ripple effect, by the way? The fact your emotions are bigger than you. Can we cover that one? It's so big. Uh, yeah, please share. So human beings are emotional creatures. We are wired to connect emotionally. So a human mm -hmm. being on their own is not good. We get depressed and lonely very quickly. Um, so what happens is we need other human beings for our mental well-being. Um, so because of that, our emotions are basically what we call an open loop, which means that we are all, it's like a Wi-Fi. We're all logging onto each other's feelings. So we mm -hmm. can't, you can't not do that. Um, now, what happens is your remote, your happiness is bigger than you. So your happiness is good for you. So if you're happy, that's good for your energy. It's good for your creativity. It's good for your vitality. But it also reaches three people removed from you. So what that means is if I, when my kids come down for breakfast and I do the four minute rule and I'm serving their with a, with a happiness. So my kids, so, so straight away I'm happy. And because I'm happy, my children will catch that happiness. So they'll go to school 16% happier because dad was happy, but it doesn't stop there because my children are 16% happier then their teacher will catch my happiness. I've not met their teacher, but their teacher catches my happiness by 10%. But it doesn't stop there either, because that teacher has had a happy day at school, goes home to her family. Her family have now caught my happiness by 6%. So I've not met the teacher. I've not met the teacher's family. And yet they are both benefiting from me doing the four minute rule over breakfast. And I think this contagious nature of emotion, the ripple effect, as you just called it, which is what I call it in my PhD, is such a big deal because mm -hmm. you create a happy family. That family then creates a happy street. That street then creates a happy community or a happy school. So I think that your happiness as a parent is almost your gift to the world. The fact that it's bigger than you makes it so, so important. Yeah, exactly. Negativity yeah. also spreads three degrees yeah. you having well, a bad day yeah which which makes it a fantastic opportunity but at the same time a fantastic uh i had obligation but not obligation but yeah, responsibility. Yeah, no, it's a good word it's a good word it's almost a responsibility i don't want to get it's too heavy if you say it's your moral duty yeah. to be happy because <laughs> that's, that's too much pressure but you need to understand that when you're having a bad day that doesn't just impact on your children. That impacts on their friends and their friends' friends as well. Okay. Yeah. So we're creating a ripple everywhere we go. Now think of how many people you meet over your 4,000 weeks. You can create a tsunami of positivity if you, if you decide to go for it. Yeah. Wow. And I'm enjoying myself right now. I'm learning so much. I really appreciate this, Andy. Um, I want to go into something else because you also mentioned in your bio that you are a learning junkie. And I'm just wondering, you know, what does that mean for you? And what is it? What is what? What makes you a learning junkie? A learning junkie. I I am a late developer, so I wasn't. Um, I didn't do very well at school, mm -hmm. but I was about 35 when I realised that I I'm reasonably intelligent and I'm not making the most of it. And I started learning at 35, and I enrolled on a PhD at 40. Okay. And I came alive with it and I've been learning, soaking up so much learning. And I start, I write children's books. It's a very strange thing. 
Um, I've realized I can write. I just discovered that I could write at age 35. Well, I mean, where, where, what was I, why did school not discover I could write? I don't know what was going on in my life. So I came alive, really. So my learning, I just learn everything. I, read, I don't read novels anymore. I read personal development. I read academic papers. I, I, I watch TED Talks. I, I mm. listen to, to, to podcasts every moment. So I travel a lot. I'm in a car sometimes four or five hours a day going up and down the country. Podcast, podcast, learning, learning, audio books all the time. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And I think I'm hoping that I'll continue forever as long as my brain can keep soaking up these messages. Well, according to, uh, according to Anthony Robbins, that's the most important thing. Like if we keep learning, we keep progressing, we keep living. If not, then we just wither away and we die. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you also brought up that the fact that you um, write children's stories. I absolutely love reading my kids' bedtime stories. I make it into an, I have an evening routine that I try to always follow. And of course, with the live interviews at this time, it's going to be it's going to be a little difficult. But you know, you've written children's books as I mentioned before. Can you tell us a little bit more about the books that you've written and why it's so important to read to our children and um, how it can improve the experience for my kids. So now I'm just, I, I let them choose, I choose a book and then I read, but what can I do extra when I'm reading? That, that, <laughs> that's why I'm a little selfish sometimes. We're, we're back, we're back to the Matthew effect. I, I write a series called Spy Dog and Spy Cat. So basically okay. my stories are, uh, it's like a James Bond character, but it's a dog and a cat. And it's secret undercover agent. So, so my dog is a is a is an MI five agent undercover as a family pet. So that's the story. However, what I I really love reading bedtime stories to my children. But for 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 a while, for a few years, I read them badly. I was too busy, so I had too many emails to do. So I would always read the bedtime story really quickly. And in fact, you can test me on the story. I've got no idea what's in the story because I wasn't really listening. I was just reading it really quickly to get it finished, to get back to the emails. And then I had this epiphany moment where I decided, how would the best dad in the world read tonight's story? A very, very simple question. How would the best dad in the world read it? And I already knew the answer. I just hadn't been doing it. So I thought, okay, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to read it like the best dad in the world. And the answer is obvious. So I got the book off the bedside table. I opened the opened the page, got my son got all snuggled up, and I read him a story, and the baddie had a baddie voice. The goodie had a goodie voice. The action came alive. The 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 funny bits were really funny. We didn't miss any of it out. I was disappointed to get to the end. And I turned the page over and left it on a cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. What's going to happen tomorrow night? Yes, put the book on the bedside table. Seven second hug. Back downstairs to the emails. And I have to say, it took me two minutes longer, but it was the highlight of my day. And I started to do that every single night is reading a bedtime story like I was the best dad in the world. I just pretended I was the best dad in the world. And I, that, that was probably one of the smallest things. What, what that really did was that took the bedtime story off my to-do list, like a chore, onto what I call my to-be list. So who am I being while I'm reading that story? That's the question. So all the time, it's less about what you're, what you're doing and more about who are you being while you're doing it. So 
yeah just read the better best read the bedtime story like the author wanted it read that's it's simple comes alive that's i like the to be list that's very powerful but, but it's yeah. also magical moments mate you know you're spending 10 minutes reading the bedtime story to your children go back to the matthew effect right your children are, are excited about books they're going to be learning to read really quickly. They're going to go to school. They'll be able to read. Everything accelerates. So all the time, we're back to the same thing. Is You're the role model. You're instilling good habits in your children early, and that will set them up for the rest of their lives. Exactly. Great. Well, that was perfect. We'll, uh, we'll end with that. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, um, how can fathers get in touch with you if they want to learn more from you or if they have some more questions in regards to the amazing amount of <laughs> value and information you've shared with us in this hour? How can they do that? Uh, well, we are www.artofbrilliance.co.uk. Oh, we've got a whole series of books out there on emotional intelligence and the art of being brilliant and shine and happiness. If you just put Andy Cope into Amazon, I'm sure my name will crop up. And I know you're in Spain, so they're available in Spanish as well, some of my books. So uh, so we are in multilingual. So, yeah, just or, or just drop me an email, andy at artofbrilliance.co.uk or follow me on Twitter at Being Brilliant. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it to everybody. Um, I hope you are blown away and has learned as much as I have. Um, I got my whole notebook full of notes that I'm going to – um, start implementing actually right now. I wish everybody best of luck. Bye-bye. Cheers, boss. Thanks for listening to Become The Me I Want To Be. And be sure to join the Facebook group where we have a whole community of like-minded individuals moving forward in their journeys. A link can be found in the show notes. If you're looking at taking your growth and achievement to the next level, then let's set up a coaching session right now. Just click the link to book your transition call. Till next time, come on, say it with me. I'm becoming the me I want to be.